Hello and uh, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm Creston. And this is the Rubber Duck Dev Show. We are tonight going to be talking about exception handling. Accepting exceptional exceptions. Woohoo. Easy for you to say. No, it really wasn't. I, I almost hurt myself. Um, so, um, this is a really broad topic, uh, and it is, there are... Everything we talk about is really broad. Well, yeah, but, but this is one of those things that has a lot of differences in different programming languages. Um, exactly. For instance, in Ruby, you handle it things much differently than you do in .NET. Um, so just we'll try to cover things that'll apply to all languages but bear in mind most of the time when we're talking we're coming from a ruby background so um just you know keep that in mind i did look some i did actually did some research before the show and i looked at what a few other languages do with regard to that so. right and i spent a lot of time programming in .NET, so um i'm familiar with that stuff too um, and, and the pitfalls there. But anyway, uh, let's start out with the big question. When do you handle exceptions? Uh, anytime there is one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your program crashes, it gives you usually gives you a message about why it crashed. Right. So therefore you may want to handle it. But so when in the code do you handle exceptions when do you when will you do exception handling i guess at what layer if you're doing object-oriented programming you've got all these objects containing other objects at what layer do you want to trap your exceptions how far up do you want them to percolate when is it good to to kind of put them to bed um well, I mean, my, I mean, we're going to be getting into this, but I, you know, have an exception tracker that notifies me when an exception occurs. And I consider that, a, well, 90, 95% of the time, that's a problem. So I need to go in and, and fix the issue. And really what it is I'm fixing the issue so that error doesn't happen again. So an exception my viewpoint on exceptions is that they should be exceptional. It should be rare occurrences and not happening frequently. And that's kind of how Ruby does it. They don't do a lot of exception handling in Ruby. Now, where I've used exception handling in Ruby is where I've got this, personally, is when I have this complex process and I don't want something to fail or in the off chance it fails, like maybe I'm trying to call out to a secondary service or something like that. I might do an exception and then the rescue is to like send me an email or notify me in some way that this event happened. But I still want that process to continue in some fashion and not crash the whole thing. But I guess to ask your answer your specific question, I mean, when I do exception handling, I do it as low as I can. I don't think about percolating it up or waiting to catch it at a higher level, personally. Mm -hmm. Are there situations that you can remember where you have thought it preferable to kind of swallow an exception rather than let it... Uh, be exposed that is a entirely foreign concept to me swallowing an exception i mean i want to know that they're happening and i want to deal with them just having them just like just slurp it up and ignore it that's i can't fathom a software engineer doing that so yeah i've got some horror stories about that yeah. but well, well We'll hold off on that for a second. Uh, just want to say, viewers, please be aware that we are monitoring chat. So if you have questions, comments, or input on this topic, please feel free to type your little fingers off. Um, so what are what are ways that 
you will trap exceptions in code. For instance, in .NET, there's the infamous try-catch block. Um, and that's a lot of where the horror stories come from is because I've seen so much .NET code that just wraps basically every, every function in a try-catch so that if anything goes wrong, they just swallow the exception and move on with their lives, which is mind-boggling to me. Now, and this may be a difference between desktop development and like web development, because with like web development or even mobile development now, or I mean, even desktop development now, I mean, right now, you can pretty much have faith that you can send off some sort of exception that something fired to a notification service. So is the programming different now than some of what you experienced because there is that ability to keep track of it? Whereas before, when you were just sending like disks out to people, there was no way to track it. Yeah, and there... I mean, that's a good point. There is also a big difference between desktop programming and web programming because, um, like you say, with desktop programming, in most situations, you're not constantly connected to some service that's going to gulp up your errors and, and notify you of them. Um, so you do have to be a bit careful about, you know, every time the user touches something, it's throwing an error in their face. That That doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah. But that's where a lot of this programming by exception kind of error swallowing came from. And it got to the point where it was just out of control. Like there are times in desktop programming where you want to swallow exceptions because Microsoft has some long running uh, bug that they've never fixed and it's going to happen and you just have to get rid of it. You know, there's there's no workaround. There's nothing you can do about it. You just have to catch it. Um, so th those are there are some valid reasons for swallowing exceptions. N never in your own code, though. If your code throws an exception, I don't think you should ever swallow that. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm interpreting that as you rescue something or you catch something and then you don't do anything with it which is exactly unfathomable to me if i can say that word <laughs> so you know generally i want to do something with it fail gracefully or you know something else yeah well, a lot of times what i would see in net <clears throat> in desktop programming is you have this try catch finally block and people used it to you'd have the try with all your code in it You'd have the catch that was just completely empty, and then you'd have the finally to make sure some some cleanup code ran at the end of that function, regardless of whether you got an exception or not. So, okay, that's that's where I would see this a lot of times. And it was just, it, you know, they wouldn't log it, they wouldn't raise it, they wouldn't do anything with it. It was just a completely empty catch block, and that was, I mean, that kind of made me want to throw up a little bit seeing that stuff all over it, especially the fact that I would see, you know, just whole solutions with that in like every method. It was gross. Um, and I still see that sometimes in Ruby programming too, even in web development, Ruby programming, I'll see, you know, kind of this rescue empty or, not really doing much of anything rescue block. And I'm like, that's, that's bad. Scary. <laughs> that's, I mean, if you've got issues, what should you do instead of just rescuing? Yeah. So what should you do? What are solutions to that? Oh, well, I mean, you mean, what should you put in a rescue? Well, what should what, you put in a catch? If you or get what's exceptions, an alternative to exception handling. Well, I guess there's two questions. When should you use a rescue? And when should you work to prevent having to rescue things? Well, I'll ask, uh, well, I'm going to answer actually the second question first in that, 
you know, the alternative to exception handling is conditionals and actually doing testing, like if this happens, do this thing, else this thing, or, you know, or else if this, or else if this. And that's normally how I program because, <clears throat> at least in Ruby, because Ruby is known to have slow exception handling. So it's try to avoid it, <clears throat> excuse me. Like I never really saw a lot of exception handling in Ruby. The first thing that I was kind of surprised at is when I used the Stripe gem in their demonstration code, uh, it had an exception in it. I was like, that's kind of weird, but it's just Ruby. I think it's just not used as frequently. So you tend to use conditionals. And again, this applies for other languages. You can probably replace almost any conditional, excuse me, any exception with a conditional as long as you know the parameters. Yeah, and in most cases, that's how I would go back and fix things in the old .NET days. You know, go, what what exception was this catching? Okay, let's make sure the exception just doesn't happen in the first place. Now, as I mentioned before, there are certain cases where, you know, Windows is just broken in this case. You can't fix it. Or .NET has a bug. You, what are you going to do? You, you can't. And, and there, maybe you don't do any exception handling. You let the exception fire produce an error, or you rescue it to present some other generic error. Right. And most of the time, if I got caught in a situation where I couldn't prevent the error, because you know, it, in a lot of .NET objects, um, you can't test for certain things. They don't have everything exposed. Um, so I would run run into situations where I couldn't prevent the object because I couldn't find out whether it was going to have a problem or not. I just had to catch it. But in that case, I would at least throw something to a log um, log file so I could go back and, and troubleshoot later if a client had a problem with their desktop app. Now with web apps, that's not really... I, I mean, I suppose it's kind of the same thing. You still want to log something, and I'm sure there are conditions in web programming, uh, in Ruby and stuff, where you can't prevent an error or something like a gem specifically raises an exception class, and what you're supposed to do is handle it. Yeah. Like, when I do exception handling, it's, it's definitely very rare. And if I'm, you know, if I'm doing a rescue, it's to, again, to log something, to present something different, different to the user, just not to suddenly go, blah, error on the screen. Right. Well, and that's the other thing is you have to kind of be careful about what you're showing your users. You don't want every error coming up in their face. That's, that's not cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Or at least make it something more user-friendly. Right. Yeah, showing them a call stack is okay. And a lot of the frameworks handle that for you, so don't you have to worry. You don't have to worry about it too much, but right. at least in web programming. Um, now, in terms of going to speaking to that, like I'll just mention a couple of places I've used some exceptions recently. Some ex I've done some exception handling recently. Um, one is that sometimes I use the the uh, daemon gem or the daemon gem of Ruby, and that is a long-running process that runs. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anything to, if there's any error in that, the whole process stops. Yeah. And I don't want that to happen. Right. So I basically have an exception block and I rescue any errors that happen, but then I log it to like a notification file that then sends me an email to say, hey, this thing happened. So is so that kind of your, use case. your preferred handling when you do have to do rescues is to throw it to a log in most cases? Uh, essentially, I, I want to still find out about it, that it happened. Right. Because again, I consider other programmers may be different, but I consider exceptions 
are exceptional cases. So I want to know what's happened. Right. The other use case is that I was using an external service for like doing a single sign-on and there was kind of a multitude of different errors. So trying to do that in a whole bunch of conditionals to catch all the different use cases and all the ways it could fail, it was easier to just do an exception block, but still I did the same thing. If there was an error, I logged it and then actually have like a cron job that goes through the log and says, if there's anything that exists in there, send me an email. So at least again, because I want visibility of when exceptions occur and what they are. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing is exceptions should be reporting to the programmers, to the devs, but you typically don't want most of them reporting to customers. Right. And again, back in the desktop only days, I mean, you had to present something to the customer. Right. But today, again, with the especially with web apps and even mobile apps. And I bet even desktop apps being written today, they call home or call home to, you know, some central server to let them know what's going on. Right. And information that the, that the user needs should be in, in a perfect world planned for. So for instance, it's usually because they've done something wrong. They've left a field blank. They've, input an improper code they've done. So you should already be giving them information about that, not just letting those be exceptions. Yeah. So the users, it, it should be an extraordinarily rare case that a user ever gets presented an exception. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you want to take a look at some tools? Okay. All right. Yay, fun. All right, so um, we're going to talk about some of the error tracking tools in web development. A lot of these um, I have used and or Creston has used. A couple of them we haven't, but I wanted to include them for kind of completeness. Now, if I showed every tool, there'd be, you know, like a thousand tabs up here because there's a lot of them. But there's, there's just kind of a few big dogs running around. And so we'll talk about some of the, the bigger ones and kind of where they're sitting. Uh, the first group we're going to look at is um, the group of exception tracking or catching tools that do primarily just that. They're not all-in-ones. They are primarily just for exception tracking. Now, they'll do other little things, but their primary purpose is exceptions. Uh, the first one we've got, both of us have used this. You still use it, I think. And I just moved away from it, not because I didn't like it, but because I changed companies and this isn't what they use. They use another one. Uh, but that's Honey Badger. So um, what are the things that you like about this? It works. <laughs> and <laughs> that's always a plus. It's, you know, it's it, for me, it just gives me what I need. So, right. And it was really and it easy. Doesn't, and, 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 and it doesn't break the bank. So, you know. Right. It, yeah. It's the, the, the pricing is very affordable. In fact, I think they have a, do they still have a free? Yeah. They've still got a free one. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it, it's really, really good. It's very simple to set up. They just have it for if you're using Rails or Ruby, they've just got a gem that you plug in and off you go after you set up an account here. Um, it was really easy to find things. It's got Git integration, so it tracks all of your um, um, Git commits and can take you, if you get an error, it can take you directly into your GitHub um, file so you can see exactly what line of code it's coming in and the context it's in. Um, it, it, you can do deployment notifications to it. So it knows which deploy you're on. Um, you can either write those things like in Capistrano or, um, get deploys or however you're doing your deploys. Um, and it was just really nice. I mean, it, it, it can send notifications. Um, and I, I never had any, any real complaints about it. Other than 
I personally prefer more all-in-ones, but that, there's nothing wrong with this inherently. That's just my preference. Yep. So, so that's like I said, the first. I, I still use them. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I did use this for probably five or six years, and was very happy with it. So I'd I'd highly recommend Honey Badger if you're just looking for error trapping. Uh, another one is Airbrake. This is most web developers have heard of this. Most web developers I've talked to don't like it. Um, I used it for about a month and said, no, thank you. I, I don't know what else to say about that. It's just, it doesn't. Well, there's a lot of, there's a bit of history with it. Like I started off on air break, but then there were some things happening and I think at a corporate level, something, and then Honey Badger came out and I switched to them. Um, so maybe they've gotten things fixed. I don't know its current state, but I haven't used it in years. Yeah, it's been several years since I've looked at it too, but it was it was getting, it was already getting long in the tooth when I switched over to Honey Badger because the same thing, I was using this, my company was using this and then we switched to uh, Honey Badger because I was just not, thrilled with the support we were getting from it for one but two the, the the interface just wasn't the interface the um notifications they just weren't as smooth as honey badger so and it, and things may have changed over the years right because that was right. years ago right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so so uh, we, we can't really speak to it probably it's curtain state yeah it's 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 another and the reason i brought it in here is because it is one of the big dogs so there are lots of people using it uh just not me so uh <laughs> do with that what you will um so bug snag now i haven't actually used this but i've heard a lot of people like it um I don't know what else to say about it other than it is one of the big ones out there that a lot of people use, uh, just not me, not for any particular reason. It's just I haven't had an opportunity or a need to check it out. So uh, Ray Gun is another one that I've heard a lot of good things about. Um, once again, I haven't used this one myself. Um, but I'm hearing, I keep hearing more and more about this um, for uh, web monitoring, exception monitoring, um, that it's, it supposedly does a real good job of presenting the stuff and aggregating things and um, pulling it together. And I, I've heard that I think it's one of the better ones for JavaScript tracking, error tracking. The other ones will do it, but this one apparently is just better at it for some reason. So now we get into the things that are more the all-in-ones. They do error tracking, but they also do all the other kinds of monitoring um, for your systems. So AppSignal is one of those. It'll do, you know, the issues, performance, anomalies, like, hey, my my memory utilization on server 12 all of a sudden just went to 80 percent somebody needs to know um it'll do uptime monitoring this one was fairly recently added they just took this out of beta i think um because I, I was part part of the beta testing on this they i mean they didn't give me anything for it i just got in there when they were in beta and so i was giving them feedback but um have you used this oh yeah I've used this, okay. and I quite like this one. It it was it's organized well. Um, it'll do database query tracking, show you slow queries in your in your program. Uh, there are it can do GitHub integration, um, integration with Jira and all kinds of other um, project management tools. Um, so it can send errors, uh, error. It can create tickets in Jira or GitHub or other places wherever you put it, it can um, 
integrate with your GitHub uh, call stacks, so you can go right to the GitHub code. Line of code. Yeah. So it, it was really nice, and it's it's very well priced too. Um, I I really enjoyed this. So um, I'd highly recommend checking this one out, especially if you're a Rails shop, because this this was originally written specifically for Rails. So it's very tailored to Rails things, the Rails ecosystem. Um, so the next one is Datadog. This is the one I'm using now. Uh, my company is using this. And I, so I'm still learning a lot about it. So far, it has been very impressive with the amount of information you can get out of it. That being said, it is it does suffer from the the issue of it does so much you can get lost in it. Uh, but that's a lot of these all in ones do that. They they suffer from that. But it yeah, is these these last few start we're starting to go from the strictly exception handling to per application performance management. Right. Yeah. These are these are stem to stern monitoring suites, but all of them will do exception monitoring. Right. Right. Um, but Datadog, I've been very happy with it's fast. It gives you a lot of information. It has nice slide out so you can drill down easily into things. Uh, the one thing I'm missing on it is it doesn't do a real good job of showing you slow queries. It tracks them, but they're a little harder to get to than just here's a list of your slow queries. You got to go look at the flame graph and then get the figure out where your query stack is in the flame graph and go look at them one by one. I I was a little disappointed in that, but otherwise it's been extraordinarily useful. Um, and then kind of the big boy of of all time for these things is New Relic. Um, at this point, though, I think it's getting a little long in the tooth. And well, they have done some refreshes. They have, but I, a lot of people are moving away from this to more streamlined things. The other thing about this is if you're looking for exception handling, I don't think exception handling was really a core part of New Relic until more recently. So it's not as integrated, I've heard, as other all-in-ones. Now, I used New Relic years ago, but that was before it did exception handling. So I have no experience with its exception handling. Um, but... It's it's another big one. Now, New Relic is fairly expensive. They they have a free tier, but to get to the good stuff, it's it's pretty pricey. So just be aware of that. Um But again, a lot of people use this. And did you ever use New Relic? Yeah, I mean I still use it. I'm still uh I think I'm yeah, I'm still in the free plan. But you don't use it for the exception tracking. You use but it I more hardly, for the... Yeah, I mean, I know it tracks it. Um, but, I mean, I hardly ever consult it, consult it. It's only if I have an issue, I go and check it out. So it's not like something that I have. I'm constantly monitoring what's going on. It's just if something's going on, I'm, I may consult it. So, yeah. Right. And, and that's typically more for like performance issues or um, these types of tools, at least my use of them were more for tracking performance things and seeing how we could make our apps faster and where they were having bottlenecks in, in production. Um, but we'll, we, we've got a bunch of performance episodes coming up. So we'll probably be revisiting a lot of these tools. And when we talk about the performance stuff, so Dynatrace, another one that I've not used, but I've heard quite a few good things about it, and it's another big one out there. Um, I can't really speak much to it. Have you used this at all? I've never even really heard of it, so oh. there you go. <laughs> it's 
So there's another one. And the last one, Log Rocket. I pulled this up because it was kind of high on the search list. Uh, but I this is one I've never heard of. Um, so uh, it could be worth investigating. If anybody out there uses it and knows anything about it, uh, please let us know. Um, I'd like to find out uh, if people are using it, enjoying it, liking it, not liking it, whatever. Anyway, so those are a lot of the tools for exception tracking. Um, now, obviously, that's not an exhaustive list. Like I said, there are lots of them out there. There's a ton. Um, but these are these are the ones that I see a lot around the at least for web development. Um, so are there any others that you? Oh, in terms of tools, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That I'm aware of. So if you're looking for something at your shop, those are the ones I would recommend checking out. Okay. So we talk a lot about exception trapping and and catching the exceptions, but we don't really want exceptions. So how what do we do to minimize the need for these tools? So for instance Code better? Yeah. Get get better, bro. It sounds like you're leading to something, but I don't know what it is. Get good, man. Um <laughs> no, but like for instance what disciplines do you put in place in the code and in your team to try to minimize the times that you'll get caught out with exceptions in production? Well, you can feel free to volunteer something. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the important things to know about exceptions is the longer that the further along in the pipeline they occur, the more expensive they are to fix. So if I can catch them in early development, they're pretty cheap to catch. If they get to production and I have to go back and, you know, add them to a sprint and push other things or, you know, do a whole new build to fix this emergency fix or whatever it is, that gets costly. So the earlier, the better um, to find these things. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're going right back to the things we've been talking about the last episodes, like testing. Exactly. I mean, if, if you're, again, be a better programmer. Right. Do testing of your stuff to make sure it doesn't break. And so this is another example of a reason that you want to do automated testing uh, to try to help you catch exceptions early on so that you can work around them before they get expensive. And when it gets really expensive is when it blows up on your client and starts giving your company black eyes. Then you've got PR problems and those are really expensive. So, um, just... Yeah, because norm normally when I get an exception that is, like for example, I have not silenced some exceptions and this is a frustrating, I'll mention a frustrating thing about exceptions in terms of Rails is that if it tries to look at a page that doesn't exist, it fires an exception. And now the tracker I use, Honey Badger, does by default not send those, but I've found it beneficial to keep track of that because I've actually had some situations where someone tried to create like a giving form but then all these exceptions came in because they, or they started like they did an ad to a page that didn't exist. Mm. And because I was getting, I saw, oh my gosh, there's a couple hundred exceptions for this one page. Did they really mean, you know, what happened here? And then when I found out they did an ad for this, basically they put the wrong link in the ad. Oh, geez. Or they did it, but then they changed what the link was. So now it, 
it wasn't getting to where it needed to be. So, um, so I leave that on for that rare, for that rare situation. But you know, if I receive an exception, barring something like that, that's what I when I said 90, 95 percent of the exceptions I'm going to take care of something like that. I'm kind of like, well, there's nothing to take care of. It's just it is what it is. But I track down and say, okay, what the cause is. And a lot of times I look at it, I was like, what the heck just, it was unexpected. It was literally unexpected. It's like, what's happening here? Why is this happening? You know, and, but a lot of times, you know, it ends up this test case or this edge case I didn't take into account that could happen. Mm -hmm. So now I go, got to go back to the code. And, All right, now I got to write, you know, a test for it to capture the situation and, or it's something I didn't expect would happen or data that I didn't expect to receive from another service or something like that. Right. Well, and something that, that I've seen happen at, at web shops, and, and this happens quite often, um, is that you get, they get in this mindset of, oh, that's an expected exception. It's fine. Just let it go. N no fix it. Don't just say, well, my, my log is full of these exceptions, but it's, they've been happening for years and we know about them. So just ignore them. That's, that's just not, no, that's not okay. That's if you've got an exception in your log, something is wrong with your code, fix it. I don't care if it just happened once. There's something wrong. You found an edge case, fix it, test it, reproduce it, fix it. Um, but I've seen way too many times that, uh, you know, that the, the, the team will get this, just this apathy about certain things in the log. And I'll look at them and go, holy crap, you've got all these errors here. What are you, what, you're okay with this? Why, why are you okay with this? This is just, it's broken. Now I'll admit something, another error that I get that I ignore like I designed this feature to kind of simulate an actual, what an actual form would look like to style some things different or allow the customer to style some things. And there's actually a time tracker on the main form that behind the scenes silently coordinates what the time is to be able to close the form out after a period of time. And with this new feature, there's an exception that happens, but it's entirely invisible to the user. Nothing happens to the user. It's just that timer doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I've let that go for a long time, but it's not visible to the user. They never see anything. Nothing is broken for the user. But yes, there's something wrong with the code. And then... So I'm just saying that's a, not that I agree with it, that I should be doing. Basically, it's on my long list of things to get to eventually, right. but there's zero customer facing about it. So, and there's no risk of like having tons of exceptions due to where this is that would impact performance. So, right. You know. and, and I was being a bit hyperbolic with my statements um, to try to get the point across. There are market pressures and, and business pressures that you have to balance against stuff like that. Um, is it worth fixing this one little error that I know happens that has zero impact on anything anywhere ever? Well, yes, there is value in it, but not against all these other valuable things. So, yeah. um, and you know, that's on my list of things when on this particular code base, when I bring on more developers, I'm going to want to right. clean and, up any situation like that. And that's the big problem I have is when I come into these situations and I see all these errors and you know, the, the people who have been there, who have all this institutional knowledge say, eh, it's no big deal. Well, if you bring in a, like a consultant or a new person or get you know, some project guy to come in and they see this stuff, they're going to be just 
what is going on? Why, why, why all these errors? Well, these 65 errors we've known about, we just learned to ignore them. Okay, well, I can't troubleshoot my stuff because it's buried in these hundreds of other errors. So that's not cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, the situation is that everybody says, oh, you can ignore that. And then they leave. And then somebody else comes, oh, you can ignore that. And then by the time, you don't know why you're ignoring it. The people there don't know why they're, they're ignoring it, but they're just ignoring it. Right. Because that's the way we've always done it, which is never <laughs> a good reason to do anything ever. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that and just flipped my lid. That's the way we've always done it. Oh God. <laughs> Never say that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, if you're getting exceptions, you should handle them somehow. In most cases, in almost all cases. Yeah. Um, but even even if not a single one of them is customer facing they will be developer facing and you will at some point bring another developer in or a consultant or somebody else is going to look at that code and they're going to be seriously confused and think your stuff is just a pile of trash because it's just full of errors. Um, so just, you know, please, please fix your exceptions if they happen. Uh, but do testing to try to catch them up front. And don't have that problem in the first place. Just get good, bruh. Um, now, something interesting that I've seen is that, um, like in most languages, I've seen conditionals are the way to go and exceptions are meant to be exceptions. Mm -hmm. So, um, and even for .NET, I saw someone some of the recommendations for MSDN were saying um, resort use conditionals when possible for flow of control and then fall back to con, uh, exceptions if you have to. Right. What's interesting for Python, I've heard of two different terminology. One is easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. That's just a life lesson. <laughs> Well, it's like an acronym EAFP, -E and basically it's coding by exception as opposed to using conditionals. Right, except that coding by exception is kind of mostly universally accepted as an anti-pattern. Yeah, so <laughs> the thing from python.org says with regard to this style, again, easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. This clean and fast style is characterized by the presence of many try and accept statements. So I'm kind of like, huh. Well, now I never want to try Python. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, after spending so many years in the .NET world where I saw just try catch blocks everywhere, I don't ever want to see that again in any language that professes that that promotes that is going to turn me off. Now, maybe I've never programmed Python, so maybe they have a way to handle that that's more elegant, but and and this is the glossary of terms familiar with Python, I guess Python who whatever the pro, Python programmers call themselves. But they all have an, also have another acronym LBYL, look before you leap. And that does focus on using conditionals and not ex exception hand. See, th that camp I like. I'm sitting in that camp with those guys and singing Kumbaya around their campfire. <laughs> but one thing they did say, and I, I can see this, is that one area where conditionals or look before you leap could fall down is, is if you have a probability of race conditions. Because with a conditional, you're checking something, and then if it evaluated to some value, then you do some work. Well, if you have a probability of, like you're doing multi-threading or something where you have a probability of a value is then going to change after that conditional check, it could result in an error. Whereas doing it with exceptions, basically you just start doing the work, and if there's an exception, then you capture it. So 
I think I have to agree with them is that if you have a case where what you're, the code you're writing is susceptible to a race condition, coding by exception or preferring exceptions over conditionals, I could see value in doing that. Right. And that was, that was a big place where I was kind of forced to use uh, exception catching in .NET because the multi-threading in there is it's hard to corral. I mean, multi-threading is just hard to corral, period. Um, it's, you know, it's hurting cats, but um, there were a lot of cases where there's no way that I can prevent. I can't check for a nil or check for some value because by the time I checked it and then get to the statement where I need to use it, something else may have changed it. Now, I will say that multi-threaded programming needs to be done in a way that you should very rarely have race conditions. Um, that you should be trying to prevent that first. Uh, but there just are going to be times in multi-threading, which is one of the reasons I hate multi-threading, multi-thread programming. It's, it's a nightmare, primarily because you can't do anything but track trap exceptions. And even when you do, if you were to throw them in a log or something, you have no idea which one of the threads caused that exception a lot of times. So, it, yes, that's true. Multi-threading is a place where exceptions probably will happen. And there's not much you can do about it except yeah, not do multi-threaded programming. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you'll just have to handle them. And, and speaking of areas where you're going to have to use exceptions is that, um, interestingly, I know we were talking about and saying, Ruby, you rarely use exceptions, um, or at least in, in my development case, I 95 plus percent of the time I'm using conditionals and maybe 5% of the time I use exception handling. Mm -hmm. But actually when you're parsing a date, interestingly, there's no getting around not using exception handling with it. Like there's no way to conditionally work with the date parser that I could tell. It, it basically forces exception handling to correctly parse a date, which I, I guess I, I was kind of, I was surprised by that, that that was the implementation because it's never in, it's so rare to see that as a requirement doing a fundamental thing in Ruby. Right. That, that's true. It's, that's kind of an oddball. The dates, dates and times are really Oddballs oh, we could in a have lot of ways. So long a series of episodes about date times and time zones. Oh God. That's that's like that was the bane of my existence for a whole project for several years were just the flipping date time objects. Because you can't you could I mean, they're just hard to corral. Um so yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll do a series of episodes on date time and all the fun times those bring. Uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to have to trap, uh, tackle another date time problem uh, and do some major refactor and redesign for an issue that has come up in one of our products because date time, because yep. it's just fundamentally a kind of a broken way to look at things in a computer it doesn't translate well to computer code but and then the governments like to keep changing the time zones on us right the, and <laughs> bloody daylight savings we have electric lights we don't need that anymore anyway that's a whole different channel um maybe I'll get on my create a soapbox channel so i can just get yeah, up and rant about moving everything on. anyway um, so yeah, lots of things to talk about with exceptions, but, but the main things I think are handle them as early as possible. Don't let them languish in your logs. 
if you see them in your logs, investigate them and get them out. Um, and don't just program by exception. It's it's a bad. It's just bad. Every time I've seen it, it's been bad, and I've had to correct it. So, what are kind of your main points for exceptions? I mean, the same thing. It's, in my experience, it is a super rare thing uh, to do. There are use cases where I think you, you bring it out, bring it to bear when you, like you have a process that you don't want to fail. Well, you could do that to keep that process running. You can do exception handling and capture the error, but you still need to do something with those errors to know that some error state happened as well as, you know, log what's going on. And, you know, or if you have race conditions or if sometimes calling out to external services where there's a multitude of things can go wrong, you may want to use exception handling to handle that as opposed to a bunch of conditionals where you have to take care of it every failure state. Yep. So anyway, things to keep in mind as you're programming, please be aware of your exceptions and don't just throw try catch blocks everywhere. It, it makes a programmer cry. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, uh, I'd ask you to like, subscribe, comment, follow, whether you're seeing this on YouTube or Twitch, we broadcast live to both every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. We're going to have lots of topics coming up. Uh, next week is what? I don't know, man. I probably should have checked that before. Writing I... secure code. Ooh, secure code. All right. Talk about security next week. Um, so that'll be fun. Make sure to to join us then. Uh, if you didn't like this, then I have to assume you're a masochist if you're still here at the end of it. So whatever. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Uh, take care and happy programming. Bye. Yeah.